Unfortunately, Andrew was not able to record the intro to this episode before he passed. I hope that this podcast allowed you to become closer to him, as I know he had a great deal of love for the people that were with him on his journey. He left behind two episodes, both of which would be available by the time you are hearing this. The first is this episode with Ginger Fairchild. This was his longest interview yet. I feel like he was really informed and shows us why he was such a great voice for this movement. The second episode is a final transmission he left behind for us all. The final transmission is comprised of three separate recordings he did on three different days. I left some details in that episode's description about when each part was recorded. Andrew wanted the podcast to continue after his death. I am not sure what form that will be in yet, but I am open to suggestions and would love to hear from you all. In this episode, Andrew interviews Ginger Fairchild. She is a registered veterinary nurse and has a bachelor's degree in psychology. She is a widow to Sergeant Matt Fairchild, who chose MAID after enduring a decade-long battle with skin cancer. Andrew and Ginger quickly form a connection and have meaningful conversations about her and Matt's journey, MAID, how to talk to people who are sick, life, and much more. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Let's get into it. Well, cool. Well, welcome, everyone. We're here with Ginger Fairchild joining us today for the Death with Dignity podcast. And we typically start, Ginger, by just sending it over your way and fill us in a little bit just about who you are and why you're here and stuff. Okay. Well, I'm Ginger Fairchild. Um, just turned 53, and I'm from Burbank, California. Um, I'm a registered veterinary nurse. Um, I work at a really busy animal hospital in Los Angeles, um, right near Laurel Canyon. So we have a lot of really cool, interesting clients that come yeah. in with their animals, all kinds of cool animals too. So Dang, lizards, awesome. snakes, um, we've even had a fish come in and a wallaby. Um, so it's a really great environment, really great job. I really love it. I've been there 23 years. So That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm originally from Burbank, um, but have lived in Hawaii, Australia, San Diego for a really long time. I uh, went to San Diego State, got my bachelor's degree in psychology and a minor in French. Um, yeah. And then uh, my senior year of school, I met Matt, um, a friend, my roommate, actually, um, uh, told me to come out with her that night. I wanted to stay home and study. It was my senior year. I'm like, I want to finish school. So, but she's like, no, come on out. So, um, we went to, uh, some bars in Pacific beach and then there was Matt with, uh, his, um, a fellow weatherman. He was a weatherman in the Navy. So, um, so they're all hanging out playing pool. So we just started talking um, that was in 1991 when we were 21 years old, and he had just gotten back from the Persian Gulf. Um, so it's kind of just an, it was kind of crazy that we met on that day at that time. So, um, yeah, and then we were together for 31 years. <laughs> 
so a uh, really long time. I mean, you just never think that, you know, that's how you're going to meet your your partner, your life yeah. partner, you know. So <clears throat> Fate, we were married right? for 24 I mean, years. It, yeah, it's the yeah. universe coming together. And think about if you would have stayed and then studied. I'm sure <laughs> you think about that here and there. It's I know. like, who knows where your life would be and how different. But yeah, you never know. It's a good know. thing you went out that night. Because mm-hmm. you got quite a story and quite some pretty amazing experiences, I'm sure, that you spent with Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, we stayed in San Diego for a long time after he got out of the Navy and then after I graduated. Um, But then he really, we loved films. We loved going to the movies. That was one of the things that we really bonded over when we were talking in that bar in Pacific Beach that night. We talked about movies. Cool. So, um, we really bonded over that. And then, uh, yeah, so he wanted to work in film and we moved back up to L.A., Um, and uh, he worked, he actually worked in film, which was really amazing and got to work on some really cool movies in the um, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and then after September 11th, he went back in the military. He just felt this pull to go back in. So um, he did that and was an air intercept controller. Um, so he was the guy on the ship who would talk to the planes, the F-18, or the pilots in the planes, the F-18s, and, and land them on the ship. Cool. So um, it was really awesome. Yes. Sure. Yeah. He loved it. It was exciting. He went to Top Gun to train. Nice. Um, so he uh, then, um, at the end of his that four years, his father passed away suddenly. So he felt the need to stay home after that. So he, he got back out. Still had a lot of connections from the film industry, and then worked on another movie with um, with a director and um, a movie called Street Kings with Keanu Reeves and um, well, Keanu Reeves is like <laughs> the main guy. Um, there's a lot of guys like in it, but movie. yeah, I don't know if yeah. I've seen it, but I definitely heard of it. Yeah, David Ayer directed it, and then cool. he went on to direct a lot yeah, of other yeah, yeah, big movies. Sure. Yeah, so they stayed friends, familiar. and he was actually. They bonded because David had been in the Navy as well at the same time that Matt had been. Oh, and wow. stationed in San Diego. Sure. So back in the 80s, yeah, the early 90s. So Yeah, so that was kind of cool. But, um, yeah, so then he worked on that film. But then after a couple years out again, he felt that pull back into the military. He wanted to have the structure of the military again. Yeah. So he went back in. He went to the Army for the last part. Um and uh, was stationed out in Georgia and Texas. I was in Korea for a year. Um, So then uh, I guess it was um, when he was first diagnosed with melanoma um, was 10 years ago, last week, actually. So um, we were on vacation in Florida and having dinner with his mom, and sister and got the call from the dermatologist that um one of his moles came back as melanoma Hmm. so so real quick i have to acknowledge and say how cool that was that matt um in and out of the military and also that he had that passion for film and followed Mm -hmm. that and i just think that's so fantastic when people take that risk and go into the field of something that they really enjoy and for him hopefully you know wasn't as much of work or whatever as it was you know and being able to yeah have a good job and enjoy doing what he did yeah so that yeah that's really cool 
He loved it. Yeah, we got to one night. Uh, he got to. We just flew to New York. Just they. We had to take a a movie to New York, and uh, he called me at work, and he's like, "Do you want to go to New York tonight?" Cool. <laughs> so I was like, "Sure." So it was really cool. We got to go to Soho and stay there for a few days. Um, yeah, and he went to the Cannes Film Festival, and nice. you know, we just got to go to um, some red carpet premieres, and just yeah, a lot of really cool things. That's but it awesome. was, it was scary. It was like a huge, like really, are you really want to do this? Because he had to intern for a little while, but you know, he was hired on really fast. So yeah, but it was, it was just so cool that he, he just that's what he wanted to do, and he just he just did it. He was so focused on doing it, and that's how he was with so many things. Was just like that's what I want to do. I'm gonna focus on it, and that's it. There's nothing else that's gonna get in my way. So yeah, certainly yeah. commendable and an attitude that I think we need a little bit more of today. Uh, mm-hmm. Having that drive and that desire. How about with the military experience? Did he ever tell you kind of what drew him to that, or? Because um, it sounds like he was pretty young initially when he went into the Navy. Yeah, he was. He was. Um, he had joined even before I got out of high school. But wow. but what it was was Top Gun, mm-hmm. <laughs> the oh, movie. Yeah. Oh, yep. cool! Because nice. it came out in 1986, and um, he graduated from high school in 1988. So that, I mean, that's just yeah. He joined, and that's what brought him out here. So he's that's stationed awesome. in Coronado. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I dig it. And just, you know, he he loves structure. He love you know, so um, it was great for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, not a horrible gig in terms of just, you know, I guess um, employment and, like you said, structure, um, benefits, things mm-hmm. like that, um, income, stuff like that. So Yeah, and he, I mean, he's from Ohio, so he ends up, on the beach in Coronado, right. like, you know, they're all going, yeah, it's you know, dream. as a weatherman. But, I yeah. mean, it so was... So what did that entail, the weatherman <laughs> piece? Is it, like, literally he's checking the weather and keeping everyone up to date on, like, what's going on yeah, out there? Yeah, pretty and, like, much. Like, on the ship. I, yeah. yeah, yeah, when they're out at sea and stuff. That was more of, like, the work. But he would joke around, like, in Coronado that they would be like, it's nice today. Okay, yeah. let's go play football. Right, you know? right. Yeah, no kidding. The ideal spot. Yeah, that'd be a great spot to be a weatherman. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely, it was. You know, they would joke about it. They worked hard, but yeah, they would joke for about for sure. And all know. the other experiences he had uh, in the different branches as well. How impressive! Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he got to see the world. I mean, he was in Dubai. He went to Australia a couple times. Japan, wow. Thailand, Singapore, Korea for a year. Um, yeah, he was all over. So. Um, yeah, it's hard to keep track sometimes, but yeah. No kidding. <laughs> like, oh yeah, where that? Where was that picture? Was that picture? Was that in Dubai or was that in Korea or you know? So yeah. But, wow, uh, and how cool! What a what a relationship you guys had. You said you guys were together for what, for thirty one years. Thirty one years. Mm-hmm. Wow, I almost said twenty one, but oh 31. no, yeah, we were twenty one when we met. Okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> Very yep. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we were, you know, we were apart a lot, but then we'd have time together. So, you know, we just kind of, you just kind of go with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where it's great that I have a job that I love so much 
Um, you know, I just like my job is pretty much my life. (laughs) So it's like the biggest part of my life, especially now, you know, before it was when Matt was sick, it was like I had to split it up and I had to take some time off a little bit and not work as much. But yeah, it's a very consuming job and, and I'm totally fine with that. You know, I'm like work life balance. I don't, who cares really? I'm like, people text me call me at all hours asking me about what they should do with their animals uh-huh. but i'm you know yeah. i'm okay with it they yeah. they respect boundaries but it's usually i'm like you need to go to the emergency hospital that's what you have to do but or sure. something simple but yeah Sure. But it, it, yeah, it totally helps that I have a job that I really care about and love. Yeah, and it's obvious you're passionate about it. And uh, as we kind of touched on earlier, if um, you have a job that you love, it's not really work. It's you know a passion mm-hmm. and something that you get to enjoy, and then have the perks of things like an income and benefits and the enjoyment of being with animals in your mm-hmm. case and some pretty cool people, I'm sure as well. So what a yeah, what a good gig. Yeah, it is. Not yeah, bad. I feel lucky every day. And the yeah, just the people that I work with are amazing and our clients are really amazing too. And nice. supportive, so that and, really helps a lot. Yeah, and you mentioned you have a couple cats, is that mm-hmm. right? Yes, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, they're all all from the hospital, all rescues, all just brought in, you know, like Very cool. They need homes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and one of our um our last ones um had had been attacked by a well, he was brought in because he'd been attacked by a dog, but um, so he had to have an, a leg amputated. So I'd Aww. send Matt videos of this guy. I'm like, look at him. Look how amazing he is. <laughs> look at him. And Matt would finally say, okay, just bring him <laughs> in, bring him home. Let's see how things go. So nice. You know. But yeah, they're all rescues. They're all, they're all so, uh, they're just so um, supportive of me. And yeah, <laughs> you know, they for give me sure. lots of love. And they're totally, yeah. we were talking before, just animals are so special to people and it's like they're almost like these guardians in a way um i think about yeah jackson quite a bit and how he's been sticking around by my side especially the last few weeks haven't been feeling as well so it's been Mm -hmm. nice to have him keeping an eye and i was going to ask too how about with matt were the were the cats um do you think more involved during his time when he was sick? Yeah, they definitely were. Yeah. You think that they kind of sensed that something was off or different with, you know, his body or just everything going on in your life? Yeah, they did. Um, one of our cats who's passed away but um, was with Matt up until just like the last, I think it was the last two years, yeah, before Matt died. But um, Jacques was a cat who just showed up one day, but... Um, he and Matt just had this such a close bond and uh yeah Jacques would just always be right next to Matt and at the beginning with like the first pet scans you know we'd get Matt home and he'd have to sleep off his Ativan and he'd be sleeping and Jacques would be right next to him and um and Matt said even with his first um the mole that you know his first melanoma um he said Jacques was just he said he was like breathing on it or blowing on it he's like it just it felt like he was he was like he knew that that was something so that that area of his body was like something was off with it huh yeah that something was going on there yeah i mean i totally believe that animals will sense stuff like that that's interesting and there have been i think there was an article about 
dogs at least being able to sniff melanoma and cancer yeah, in general. Yeah, I've heard but, that too. Yeah, I've heard yeah. with colorectal cancer too, like smelling stool samples or something, they can detect it with a pretty oh, high wow. accuracy, which is wild. Um, and same melanoma. So yeah. tell us a little bit about Matt. And you mentioned that you two were in Florida when mm-hmm. he was diagnosed, or at least you heard the news. Mm-hmm. How did he, I guess, get the idea that maybe something was kind of funky or off? Like, was his was that part of his skin hurting, or did, was it just a mole that looked funny? I mean, it was, was it just basically that scenario? He, it was... Um... He said he just had a free afternoon because he was in the army. So he said he just decided to go have some moles checked. He had a bunch of moles on his back mm-hmm. and he had one on his right ear, near his right ear. Mm. And so they cut all of them off and sent all of them out. And he actually kind of forgot about them. He forgot that he had gone even because it had been a couple weeks. So when we were on vacation and he got the call, I remember him just taking the call and he got off and, you know, he talked to the doctor for a little bit, but he got off and he said, well, I guess I have melanoma. <laughs> and we all just kind of sat there stunned. I don't even know if we'd ordered yet, but, you know, it was like, oh, okay. I mean, it doesn't really, it didn't really hit me yet. I thought, okay, well, then we just have to have it taken out. And, I mean, I'd had basal cell, which is nothing, you know, it's hardly, it's nothing compared to melanoma, of course. Um, so, I just thought we just take care of it. Um, but uh, melanoma, Matt started Googling it <laughs> that night, and it's really scary. It's so scary. Yeah, I, I don't know a ton about it, but I, I do know that it is a very aggressive and kind of difficult cancer to treat, or it can be at mm-hmm. least. Um, it's sneaky. I mean, yeah. all cancers are sneaky, but, but uh, yeah, so we... Did you know that he had the moles removed and checked? Were you aware as well? I just can't even remember if he told me because I was in L.A. and he was in Texas. And and was that through the VA um, that he he, did that? uh, That that was through the doctor on the post. Okay. So, and then he, um, so once he was diagnosed, they were going to refer him to um, a cancer center in Austin and since we were so close to Houston, he's like, no, I want to go to MD Anderson. Yeah, there That's, you, go. you know, for sure. Um, it so was he was two in hours the military away. at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was in the army. Yeah. So, um, so we got it approved to go to MD Anderson. Good. So, so we made a lot of trips down to Houston, um, and had it, had the, had it taken off, had lymph nodes removed. Um, and they did like a test with dye, um, and so it was very localized kind of, they checked, you know, just the, the sentinel lymph nodes. So, um, he'd had a couple CT scans just to check if there, if it was anywhere else in like his head and neck and it wasn't, or it wasn't detected. Um, so he had this, you know, pretty big surgery, but he, you know, went home the same day. We just stayed in, um, in Houston and, uh, and then we went back for some checkups a couple times. Um, everything seemed clear for about a year. So he had another surgery just to kind of make things look nicer. That's, you know, it was kind of like, okay, let's make it look pretty now. You sure. have this big surgery because they cut all the way down his face, down his neck. And they go um, pretty deep when they cut this stuff out, from my understanding. They do. Yeah, yeah. They get in there. They want, like, the widest margins that they can do. Right. So, um 
But the mole, I mean, itself, you know, we were, we were looking through pictures to try to see, like, was this something we would have been worried about? Because I usually am worried about those things. So, um, but we were looking and I was like, I just, we, neither one of us really remembered being worried about it. It wasn't black and right. it wasn't big and it wasn't a weird shape. It just was like a little bit irregular. So um, nothing that we were really worried about. And he wasn't like a big sunbather either. It's like normal people going outside. He'd wear hats and sunscreen and, you know, sometimes. But he wasn't like getting sunburned. And um, so, I mean, we just weren't too worried about that. But um, so as the year went on after the first two surgeries, um, and he'd have the scans and just to check things and everything looked clear, but he uh, worked, he was um, medically retired from the military after you have melanoma. Um, you get medically retired. So it took about a year for that to happen. Then he came back to California, and when he was driving back, he was kind of feeling his right side of his face, and he felt like a little lump um, near his ear, just a little bit above where the original mole was. And when he got back, you know, I felt it, and I was like, well, maybe it's scar tissue, you know. Maybe it's just like it's still healing. But we went to UCLA. Um, he found a melanoma specialist there, um, and we got in like the very end of July. Um, so, and I said, can this be scar tissue? And I remember he like whipped his head around. He's like, well, we will have to find out. You know, he was just, um, you know, like I was so in that, like, we're done with this. This is, you know, we're not, this isn't happening anymore. Right. So, uh, yeah. So then we went in for a needle biopsy and, uh, I remember, um, the doctor was asking us a lot of questions and he just seemed really concerned. And I thought, well, maybe that's just how he is. He was like, do you guys have kids? And just asking us questions, but he just kind of had this, I don't know. And I don't know, maybe he didn't know anything, but it was just kind of this a strange feeling. So a couple of days after that, we got the um, report back that it was melanoma. So I think that's when it really hit really, really hard. So because Matt had been looking at, you know, all of the, you know, he'd been Googling everything and just, you know, scaring himself. And I was trying not to be freaked out by it. I was kind of just like, you know, let's just wait and see. And then and then we'll freak out. But then it came back melanoma. So it was like, all right, then. Okay, so this is bad. This stuff is scary. Um, so, uh, yeah, so then we... we went back to talk to the doctor. Um, they couldn't do the next surgery for six more weeks, so Matt was like... Was that just because they were so their busy? schedule, I guess. Yeah, UCLA. So Matt was just... He was... And I remember him getting really angry. Did, did, at they, the, uh, did they say anything? Because um, sometimes, like, uh, doctor... I don't know. Sometimes if there's that long of a turnaround, they might say, like, okay, it's okay, though, if we wait six weeks, you know? Yeah. Like, because... <laughs> Um, for example, like I remember I had to wait six to eight weeks in between um, surgery and when I completed radiation. But at that time, the radiation is actually still in your body and it mm -hmm. is still working on the tumor because it, mm -hmm. it stays. It's got such a long, basically, shelf life in your body even. Um, so they're not as concerned at that time during the interim. Whereas there might be other scenarios where it's like, we got to get this out now. Like, we're getting in next week. Type that's thing. what we thought it would be. And I think that's what he wanted, too. So, right. I mean, naturally, I, I think. I mean, and because at MD Anderson, we got in so fast, sure. you know, and MD Anderson is like this just 
city for cancer. I mean, it's, it's like all cancer. Of, it's incredible. Yeah. It was amazing. It's overwhelming at first, but it's like incredible. They take such good care of you. And so going to UCLA was a little bit different because it's a little bit disjointed and um, you know, they do everything there. I mean, UCLA is an amazing hospital. It's fantastic, but it was different than MD Anderson. So we had to kind of get used to that. But, and so you're, you kind of feel a little bit on an assembly line. Like, you know, mm -hmm. the doctor said, okay, now go to the scheduler. And, uh, you can pull it even. Oh, okay. Sorry. Closer. There you go. Oh, yeah. there we go. Okay. Go. So we were just waiting in line to, uh -huh. Like sitting there waiting to go into the office, you see like the person before you go in, or you're like sitting and waiting and seeing the next person go in, and then they come out, and then you know, so we're yeah. just sitting there waiting, and then we go in, and she's like, "Okay, so your surgery's gonna be on this day," and Matt was like, "Fuck that," you know, and I was like, "Matt, come on, that's when, that's when the surgery is." So he was really angry and I was like, yeah. well, okay, hold on. We'll just, we'll figure this out. We'll figure this out. But anyway, so we left and he was so mad. So, um, I just started thinking, I'm like, well, we've got other hospitals around here. So, uh, I know someone who went to city of hope. Let's do that. So he got the approval to go to city of hope. We went to city of hope. That's all for cancer. Um, they got us in within a week. Wow. to have the surgery so and we had an amazing head and neck surgeon there who had actually trained under the head and neck surgeon at ucla so oh, wow, it was kind of cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's yeah. like oh yeah that doctor he's my mentor so um so that was really cool um you know all yeah. these weird little cool things that you find in cancer but you're like okay good then she's great and she was amazing and it was um I think like an eight-hour surgery Jesus. that time. She wow. took out 60 lymph nodes in his neck and Ooh. shoulders. And uh, and I so think... So did she have to like cut down his further? Yeah, basically? In yeah. Kind he, of neck a little bit? Yes. So he wow. came out with like an ampule drain thingy. Sure. That, yeah. So, um, yeah. So that was a bigger surgery. Um, he stayed overnight and then I took him home and... Um, how did he feel after that physically? Pretty banged up? Yeah, he was. He's pretty yeah. out of it. Yeah, that yeah. was a pretty pretty bigger, a much bigger one than the first one. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then it was kind of like thinking of what's next after that. Like, okay, we know it can come back. And he'd had a PET scan right before that because he was having some strange, like, um, he was having migraines and, like, eye twitches and just some strange things were going on. So they were concerned about it being in his brain. Um, so they did a brain MRI. They did a PET scan. Um, and, and it was clear. So it was all clear. Um, after this surgery, he... He said, I don't want to wait again, so I want to do anything, like a clinical trial, anything. So City of Hope didn't have a clinical trial for melanoma. He, you know, didn't qualify. We went back to UCLA. There was a clinical trial. Um, the melanoma specialist there was happy to have us back because we left. <laughs> He's like, I'm so glad you guys are back. Uh, we have this clinical trial. He did another PET scan before that clinical trial. So we were going in to get the to find out what he would get like if he's gonna get this drug that drug you know I can't remember if they were telling us I think they were gonna tell us which one he got it wasn't like double blinded anyway 
we were nervous about it. We were like, we knew one of the drug options. We'd read about the side effects. They were really awful. So we were really nervous about that. Um, the other drug was supposed to be a really good one. Anyway, so we are going in thinking about that. His um, oncologist came in and was shaking, you know, kind of shaking his head. He's like, well, um, you can't do the trial. It's in your brain and it's in your bones. So Jeez. it had gone into his brain, into five spots in his brain, um, like a lesion on his cerebellum each side, um, his pituitary, and then a few other places. It was kind of like a smattering of melanoma in his brain, in his bones, so in his, his lumbar spine, um, his sacrum. There's like spots on his ribs. Um, he said, you can't do the clinical trial, but there was a new chemotherapy just FDA approved so you can do that and it was but he said it's getting it approved by your insurance company because it's $20,000 a month so then we had to go on that quest of like getting this improved this approved so that took a little bit of time it finally was approved it's two um, pills oral chemotherapy and then we had to find out about a compounding pharmacy that we could get it from and and where his oncologist wanted to get it from the insurance company didn't want to get it from there. They wanted to get it from somewhere else. There was a lot of back and forth in the end. And it was so stressful. This, at that same time, yeah. my grandma had died. And then one oh, of my, my cats had a heart condition and he passed away. So it was just this, you know, really kind of crazy time. Um, and that's one of the worst parts <laughs> is the fighting with insurance. Because mm-hmm. so much of it's out of your control. And it's like you just want the you want these people to just understand, like, we're human beings mm-hmm. here, you know, like throw us a bone like we're just trying to get by and uh it almost seems like there's no empathy or understanding and then you wonder and it's almost like it is a for-profit system our Mm. medical care and it's like well geez someone's getting rich here and they're probably getting rich off of us and it's just kind of uh it's sad it can be very discouraging and i give you credit for navigating that because it's hard yeah and then with all that other stuff going on geez but yeah, so you guys were working on the chemo and the mm-hmm. approval. Mm-hmm. It did it end up getting approved. It did get approved. Okay, finally, good, it, it took a couple weeks to get approved. I mean, I remember him outside of my grandma's house, you know, when after she had passed away and he's on the phone, you know, talking to the insurance companies and he was getting transferred around. But, you know, eventually it did get approved. I mean, I just still have that vision in my mind so clearly of him you know going through that and just like you know breaking down in tears of like what do I have to do yeah Yeah. so in and in the end we ended up getting it from a compounding pharmacy in West Hollywood and we just drove over and got it you know instead of having it sent from Florida which is what the insurance company wanted to do for some reason but in the end yeah so we got this um and he and was on was it he for feeling prior to starting these medications. Could he feel you mentioned the disease like in his bones and in mm-hmm. his brains in his brain. Mm-hmm. Could he feel any physical symptoms? Was he in pain? And also, did you notice any sort of like mood changes or anything different? I guess in that department as it was impacting his brain as well. Yeah. Um, to start with, I mean, he was still kind of recovering from the surgery. So he was, you know, but he was still like, he was a very, he was very active before everything. So, um, you know, he's still walking a lot and we'd go hiking. Um, but yeah, after the surgery, you know, we stopped hiking, but, um, I think it was just like, 
anxiety. Um, he, uh, you know, he's in the military, so he didn't use any drugs, but he's got his card to get medical marijuana. Um, so he was using that. That helped with anxiety. Um, he didn't feel he didn't feel the lesions in his bones. Not that he would say really. Mm-hmm. Um, it was afterwards because he also started radiation. So radiation to his sacrum, his spine. And it was when he started the chemotherapy, the radiation. That's when it really hit him hard. So yeah. I think he was just more dealing with the diagnosis and um, recovering from the surgery still. But then the treatments really knocked him down. So he, like, after he got out of the military, um, he got a job at Trader Joe's. You know, he thought, this is my retirement job. Cool. Cool. We get a discount. You know, it was fun. He was having a good time. Yeah, He liked everyone he worked with. And then when we found out it came back, then he, you know, he he thought he, you know, would just take a leave of absence. But then after after that, you know, he he never went back. But, um and it was it was just you know he he was in the freezer <laughs> waiting for a call from a you know to schedule an appointment you know so he's like this just this is hard you can't you just can't do that you can't give your all to a job when you're going hard. through and cancer we mentioned as you were kind of first entering and coming up coming by today just that i mean having this disease in that stage it is a full-time job in itself between treatments and side effects and then mm-hmm. going and dealing with insurance and fighting with them it's uh yeah it's very difficult and then it does it if you want to work or do something else it's hard to be able to go all in on that and be able to really give it your mm-hmm. all i think about my teaching and such and mm-hmm. for me um i really want to be there but it's mm-hmm. just hard because i don't think i'd be doing the best job i could be and that's kind of doing a disservice in a way to the students and staff i want to be able to be there and really um you know there as myself and doing the best i can Mm -hmm. and um so yeah finding that balance and i guess uh accepting that is difficult how was his how did he i guess find that balance transitioning from work because it sounds like he was a pretty hard working guy Mm -hmm. his whole life and he was it's got to be hard to just be working like that and have Mm -hmm. that mentality and then to have that kind of taken away from you yeah, it was tough. It was really hard. He, um, I mean, he walked a lot. He still walked as much as he could um, around the hills in Burbank and just, you know, that kind of helped. Just kind of during the day, stay busy, stay active, keep the body moving type thing. Yeah. Good. Yeah, and um, I'm trying to remember if he went to yoga. He would. He tried doing yoga for a little bit. That's um, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard for him, but he did. He tried. Um, but it was more just like, and and also having the full-time job of calling doctors, making appointments, Um, so I was still working full time, um, and then trying to schedule things on days off or get, and luckily I can switch my shifts around. So if, you know, because a lot of most doctor's appointments, you have this choice and that's it. So, um, so we did that kind of juggling. Um, but yeah, Matt was making all those calls to start off with dealing with insurance companies. I mean, just all of that was, it was full time. So yeah. yeah, And, uh, so you mentioned that he started the, you were approved for the uh, chemotherapy mm-hmm. pills. Was that, a, I think, two pills a day you mentioned? Mm-hmm. Was that an everyday thing mm-hmm. for like four, 
for every day for weeks at a time? Eight months. Or, wow. Yeah, okay. eight months. And you didn't you, get any kind of break or like a week off here or there. It was just. And it had to be on an empty stomach. Wow. Um, you know, so he had to time it and, and sure. it. And with eating, you know, so it was tough. So it was already like he was he's always been a picky eater. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it kind of made things a little bit more difficult, too, because then he was like, I don't know what I feel like eating now. And, you know, it just it just takes like the spontaneity out of your life of like being able to eat whatever you want, whatever you want. So um, that just kind of caused a little bit of anxiety for him, too. So things kind of just started happening with, like, okay, now there's this. So, um, and they, you know, made him feel nauseous. Um, and we were trying to do, like, I remember one day I wanted to go to Disneyland, and he just started taking it. So we had to try to plan food around, you know, when he take the pills. And then, I mean, I was just trying to get him to do normal things. I didn't want the cancer to take over our lives yet. (laughs) So I was trying to just kind of go, okay, let's go to Disneyland and let's go have a fun day. um, But that might, I think that ended up probably being a little too much for him. I remember him just like having a really hard time with being around all the, just the, the sounds and just everything that's going on there. So it wasn't like a happy place for him. Right. So, um, so that was really hard. Um, Yeah. I remember, you know, wanting, we wanted to drive down to go to Balboa Park in San Diego for the day. And, you know, and, and I wanted to walk all the way the whole park like we used to. And just, you know, we walked so much and uh, it was really hard for him, you know. So, um, and so I think that was, it was, I was starting to realize that, um, you know, this is really taking a toll on him. Because I was always thinking of him as, as like this Superman, you know, like Matt can get through anything, So Matt can do it. You know, he worked for, you know, practically 24 hours on the movie sets and like would come home and sleep and then go back. And um, and in the Navy and in the Army, they have their watches like he'd have a 24 hour watch. So and he'd get through it. I'm like, are you okay? And he'd say, yeah, I'm just going to go home and sleep and I'll be good. So I was just kind of thinking of him like that. So I was just like, okay, let's go do this. But um, it and it's got to be really hard seeing those signs. And it is, um, you know, dealing with that emotionally. It's because uh, you're with him every day, so you probably you know maybe see like little signs here and there. Whereas maybe people who don't see him as much, they can kind of see a little bit more of a regression as as things move on. But, um, yeah, to pick up on those little pieces, how did that make you feel? Well, it was, I, I understood what was happening. I mean, I, you know, I, but I also didn't want to accept it. So I was always for years, for a really long time, I was in the mode of like, we're going to fight this. We're just fighting it. That's all there is to it. Um, so, and I, I couldn't, I guess I couldn't let my guard down. Like when he, when we found out it came back, I broke down. I was at work and I was crying. And then I thought, I have to get myself together and we have to deal with this. So um, I was always in that mode of moving forward. What's next? What do we have to do? What do you want to eat? What's best for you to eat? Um, and if, he, you know, like if he wanted to eat, you know, Like, he went vegan for a little while after he was first diagnosed. Then he lost too much weight. And then when it came back, he's like, I got to eat meat. So um, he kind of came back to that realization. um, And it came back anyway. So I think that, you know, he was thinking that that would help him. So, um, 
But I was, you know, I'd be on them about sugar, like don't drink that soda, that's not good for you, cancer eat, loves sugar, yep. all that stuff oh, that people yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> don't eat white bread, Right. eat healthy stuff. So I was like that. Um, don't eat those Oreos. Yeah, and I, I'll admit too, I did a, I had like a two-month phase um, early on when I was sick where I did uh, keto. I went keto, and um, it was cool. I mean, it was cool in the sense that I had really good results from scans and stuff, and I was thinking, this is for sure it. This mm-hmm. has got to be the key, this right? And then I went in for a surgery, and that's when they had found it had spread, you know, significantly. And I'm thinking, well, what the hell would I... Why was I doing keto for two months, you know? (laughs) But then it's hard because it's, like, not as motivating, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I want to try keto again, hoping that it will help. But then I think, well, I already did that once, and it didn't do anything for me, obviously. And is there really a point? Because, hey, I do like Oreos, so (laughs) do I want to give up Oreos? I don't know. (laughs) But um, (laughs) Yeah, if you like how, you know, you feel after you eat an Oreo better than, you know, whatever, you know, the food that you're eating on a keto diet or as a vegan, you know, it's like, yeah, if it's not doing much for you, then hey, like, go back to the Oreos, I guess. I don't know. Different, you know, different ways for everybody to approach this stuff for sure. And uh, I think anything that you can try that you think will help is a good thing. I think it's like you're feeling like you're taking control of it. You know, you're having a little bit of say in what's happening. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of empowering in a sense. I give him credit. How how was he on those diets and stuff? Um, I mean, obviously, it might not be the most fun thing, but Mm -hmm. it sounds like he he did pretty good job of uh, being committed to it and stuff. He was I mean, I've been a vegetarian for 30 over 30 years. And so, um, I mean, I'll eat some dairy and a little fish every now and then. So but no red meat. Um, He (laughs) became like he was militant about that. Like he made me feel bad. I'm like, I never made you feel bad (laughs) about eating cows or pigs or, Mm -hmm. you know, but uh, yeah, he'd make me feel bad. I'm like, God, he's, you know. He's a newbie, so that's (laughs) that's how he has to feel. But, yeah, but then he went back to eating meat, and he was all good with that. So, Um, yeah, but he did good. And, he, you know, he lost a lot of weight the beginning with with this chemotherapy, with the radiation. I remember, like, he met me outside of, like, I went to a yoga class, and I remember he met me outside so we could walk home together. And I I saw a very frail-looking person on this like on the sidewalk and i was like is that matt I, well i think i thought oh that's probably what matt's gonna look like soon or something you know i was just having this thoughts and then he turned around oh that's matt wow that's yeah. matt and he just kind of looked really frail and just you know and it yeah it was probably a pretty hard realization yeah huh? yeah because yeah. he was like you know six feet tall um 180 pounds normally so then he like dropped weight like crazy and um yeah so uh and it's hard to remember exactly like because they were hitting him with radiation too so and the radiation made him so sick and i remember the first ones were to his sacrum and we were driving back from westwood um ucla and we went along sunset and we had to pull over and i remember we're like in front of a fancy kind of restaurant and he had to like run behind the bushes and like just vomit. He was so sick. Poor and uh, we went back 
and told the radiation oncologist and they said, oh, that shouldn't happen. And, or, you know, that it was just seemed like, oh, that's unusual kind of thing. But we're like, well, it happened. Yeah. So they, um, I think that's when he started taking Ativan then just to kind of, and, uh, Pepsid, um, or Zofran. But yeah, so I mean, every you know, there were so many. Composine, it's yeah, like, good he, God, there's just so many. I'm of still them. going through the drawers of drugs, and yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, that's from 2014. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's expired. So yeah, he tried all of all of the anti nausea meds, but yeah, and then it would get um, like edibles, and that would help. Um, but the medical marijuana helped a good. lot. Good, helped so much. That's good. Yeah, and I I use yeah I use marijuana every day and it, mm-hmm. it definitely helps things like my stomach or mm-hmm. appetite or just relax and kind of lay down um very underrated i think usage for stuff like this and uh i don't know i just always chuckle because of the prescriptions that were given and stuff whereas you know marijuana is a little more natural mm-hmm. but it still kind of gets that bad rap yeah, it it does. Although I think, thankfully, in California, it's it's being it's much more accepted. Yeah, it is. It's legal now for uh, personal use and medicinal. So that's a wonderful thing, I think, for people. Um, I was going to ask. I don't know much about melanoma and just mm-hmm. how I guess it uh, progresses in the body. But can you tell us a little bit about how that works with the disease? Um, so it starts basically as like a mole that you can see almost, and then does it's a cancerous mole, and is it like the cancer cells somehow enter the bloodstream or something, and they do travel to other parts of the they body? They do, and they are undetectable. So that's what happens a lot. They hide, and you can have a PET scan, and it won't pick it up. And I think there's a, maybe a blood test now where they've been talking about there's a blood test that can detect if you have it in your bloodstream. Hmm. Um, but uh, but with just like brain MRIs, PET scans, it doesn't, they, it's not detected. So it does hide. And in one sense, it was like we never became complacent. So, you know, Matt was very vigilant about it. And um, so with it coming back a year later... We never had time. And we've heard people that, you know, will be clear for five years, ten years even, and it comes back. Wow. So, because usually in cancer, if you're clear for five years, then, you know, you're kind of like, you're in remission. But um, with melanoma, um, they'll say no evidence of disease. But, you know, we also never believe that because we feel like Matt always had it in him still. It was never clear after the first mole showed up. And we've also known people that, never had the point of origin they never found the mole they never knew where it started and it's in their brain and we know people that um there's a little a baby that was born with it who's in our our online melanoma group and um uh then there's mucosal melanoma ocular melanoma people that don't go out in the sun get melanoma still so and then you know people that sunbathe never get it right <laughs> people will sunbathe and smoke mm-hmm. and you know they That's... don't get any of it i have a friend right now who never smoked and she has lung cancer she had breast cancer then she had lung cancer um she's never smoked but um it just yeah. seems like that's how it goes yeah. i don't understand i never will but 
Yeah. So I try still to try to believe people. that it's part of the plan in a way. Whatever you know, who's, who's ever sense. in charge. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I try not to get too angry now. I think um, I had a way of um, kind of keeping that down the whole time we were fighting. I got a little bit you know, angry about the cancer, but then I was like, I don't want to be mad at the cancer. I don't want it to affect me like that. We just have to fight it. So that's what I focused on. But now that everything is done, now I get angry about it and I'll be in my car. Sorry. Um, You're okay. And it makes me really angry because he's supposed to be here with me. Like, why isn't he here? I'm 53. But I don't want to be, like, pitiful about it, you know? I don't want to feel sorry for myself. But um, I do get mad about it because it's like, I mean, you understand, you know? It's like, it's okay. why? It's, yeah, it's <laughs> why? important to feel that and be angry. And and we've know. met so many people, and that's where I'm like, ah, I, you know, I mean, everyone has a right to feel angry, but I know so many people that have gone through so much. And so, and Matt went through so much. Um, so I think that's how I tried to stay zen about it. But it's like you kind of push things down. Now I kind of let things, I have, you know, grief therapy. I talk about things. I let things kind of come to the surface a little bit more. So I um, have to acknowledge these feelings of, of anger and, and sadness. But when Matt was alive... I almost wouldn't let him acknowledge the sadness of it because I was in this like, like forward motion, like we're just fighting it. Um, there, you know, at the end it came to a point where there's, we're not fighting it anymore. Um, we're just trying to make him comfortable. Um, and just, uh, and uh, I mean, it's managing the side effects at the end. That's basically what it is. Um, but Can you I mean, tell us about what that process was like. That's okay. Just that, yeah. Oh, that regression And uh, when you guys kind of knew that it, that fighting it was kind of not as much of an option anymore. Yeah. So after you know eight months of chemotherapy, we we had been told and we'd read a study that um, there's kind of a window of time where there's a rebound with this chemotherapy, and that people die if you don't get it in time. So we would go in, um, I think it was every three to four weeks, go in for the checkup with his oncologist, his melanoma specialist, um, blood work. Um, I think the scans were like every three months, the PET scan. And uh, it's hard for him to remember if, yeah, because he was also very sick. Like he'd have to be hospitalized. He had these horrible... Um, they called them fevers, but he didn't have a temperature, so he'd be sweating and shivering. Yeah, and he'd have oh, to. God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he'd get in the shower, yeah. a, a cold shower. Um, and then it's, you're going hot shower, and then back yeah. to cold, and it's like, yeah, that's yeah. Bizarre. Oh, it was so bad. So you know, he'd be in the hospital, and and we'd describe it to his oncologist, and they would give him different kinds of medications, like maybe this will help, but it didn't help. Um, so he'd be hospitalized and, uh, and I remember the nurses and, um, the nurse assistants 
were shocked by like what he would go through in a night. They're like, this happens every night. And I said, yeah, this happens every night. And I'd be like on him on the bed, like holding him down while he's shivering, you know, just to try to, cause he, he would just like, once he started like shivering and sweating, he would want to jump up, get in the shower. And he had just gotten out of the shower and dried off and laid down and then it would start again. So, but they, I mean, they, they couldn't believe it. And this is, in an oncology ward. So, um, yeah, so I'm, like, trying to just, like, hold him down, and they're, you know, giving him Ativan and different, you know, because it's, like, is this all from the drugs? Is this all from the cancer? Um, Yeah, and also, at the same time, he was um, severely anemic, so he'd have to get blood transfusions. Um, I remember one day I came home from work, and I was looking at him, like, you look very pale, but kind of green, and... uh, it was yeah so you know we like rushed over to the hill and for a while uh we didn't want to go to the er we just were like we don't want to go to the er we tried to stay away from the er as much as possible yes for sure (laughs) but then you get to the point where you have to you just know and he would ask me to go to the er i'm like are you sure you want to go to the er yes i do i really want to go to the er and then you get admitted and you go through the whole process and then you know the last several years that was just our normal life was like you know calling the ambulance or going or driving over to to uh, Westwood or Santa Monica um so uh I'm trying to think yeah so then when once it rebound I remember we went in to see his um his oncologist and he said you know you should be on this new drug like yesterday you know um so and he his oncologist is he has a Polish accent so whenever I think of him I just hear his Polish accent sure. he's like you know like yesterday you should be on this drug you know so we're like okay so then it was another like approval process it's it's called um, Eurovoids uh, Ipilimumab yep um, so um, and that was four doses three weeks apart in the infusion center. So we had to get that approved, finally got that approved. I remember I like was going to work on the phone. Oh, this was to schedule it. Yeah, on the phone to schedule this first one. And um, I went all the way through Sprouts, like did a whole shopping through Sprouts on hold, waiting to make the first appointment, got out. I finally got in my car and then, you know, she answered anyway. Just, you know, all that waiting. So, and then it's like, oh, yay, you can do it. Oh, my God. You know, and I think I was making the appointment without knowing if it was approved. And then she told me, yes, it was approved. So, um, yeah, just that, like, such excitement of, like, oh, my God, it's approved. We can make the appointment. So, so we did that. But then the first, yeah, the first one, I remember they set it up. He's, you know, it's, like, running down through the line. You see it. And then he just immediately started vomiting. So, We were in the bathroom yeah. with the nurses, and yeah. So then they pre-medded him and um, would give him, like, Benadryl and um, Zofran beforehand. Um, so he did that. Uh, then after the four treatments of Yervoy, I'm trying to remember if at the same time, because yeah, there's a lot of times where he'd have, like, the radiation in conjunction with um, with his treatments, with his uh, chemo and with the, um, with the uh, immunotherapy infusions. Um so a lot of the side effects, they weren't sure if it's the infusions, the cancer. I remember them thinking, like, why is he so anemic? Is it because it went into his bone marrow? Um, so, I mean, there's just so many questions they don't know. And, and so we're trying to figure it out, and they're trying to figure it out. And, you know, um, 
and then after, so once he finished the Yervoy, thank goodness, then that's when Keytruda had just been approved by the FDA. So sure. then he got on Keytruda. Okay. And that was great. Everything went pretty well with that. I mean, he had some weird side effects, um, of course, but nothing as bad as, like, the other drugs. So we thought, this maybe this is it, you know? So he did that for just over two years. Um, but we'd end up in the ER for different things. Um, he had, um, after radiation, he would get horrible cellulite or horrible, um, lymphedema. And then that would lead to cellulitis, like mostly in his legs. Um, so he's like kind of walking around with like all this water in his legs and, um, and they're trying to figure out like what to do for that. Like, you know, diuretics, massage, um, we did acupuncture and then like um, we have the Disney Cancer Center in Burbank so we'd go down there for just different you know whatever treatments they had you know so um, but nothing like completely alleviated it Um, so I mean he's just I mean tortured for you know day in and day out yeah but still you know um, like his work ethic he just he made this his job he we made up like a you know he's on like over 20 meds a day so we made up a sheet kind of like what we do at work for our hospitalized patients where we have the list of meds down the side and then how often the doses need to be given he'd just mark it off and we'd he'd photocopy it um so he just made that his his job his mission um and uh, yeah he slept a lot after Keytruda so then I'd you know we'd get right back from his infusions and then come home and then I'd make appointments with like the endocrinologist um back with his you know for his and then his next treatments and I mean it was you know it was a constant um merry-go-round of just treatments and hospitalizations yeah um yeah and so Keytruda was good for a couple years um I think he got a few more spots in his brain and they were treated with radiation because they didn't know if it crossed the blood-brain barrier but um uh but you know he did he did okay you know he did okay um but I think he still was always thinking, like, any day anything could take him out, you know. Right. Um, he had a pulmonary embolism. Like, one day just kind of his chest hurt, so we, you know, went over to Santa Monica. Um, yeah, and then the cellulitis several times, and that's, you know, that can get really bad, too. So mm-hmm. and then he was on IV antibiotics, and then we'd take him home. He had the pick line. Yeah. Do the unison at home. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then he got a port. Um, okay. And that's because his veins were just shot for a while. Yeah. Um, and the port yeah. is basically a line for people who don't know it. Maybe you could tell a little bit about it, but is it more like a line that's just inserted it's, into the chest? It right? is. Yeah. It's surgically implanted into the chest. And um, I think it goes through the aorta or is attached to it. I can't remember now, but yeah, I remember yeah, seeing the diagram. To the heart. But it's it looks scary, and then sure. you know, and I remember. Oh, and he was also yeah. So he was on the blood thinners after um, the pulmonary embolism, and um, so at the end of the day when he came out, he, it was like he had been beaten in the chest. It was just so bruised, you yeah. know. Um, okay. And and you're always waiting, even though it's a it's a like a outpatient procedure, but you know they're always running behind, and so. He was just, just angry and annoyed and, but his, you know, his, like every time he'd go in to get, uh, treatments or any, you know, his veins were just shot, so he couldn't do it anymore. And I think the, we're having problems with the pick line, like something, you know, it worked and then it was like, you know, you gotta, 
you got to like get the port now. So, um, yeah, so but with the Keytruda, eventually he had so many side effects, like his scrotum blew up like really big. Oh, like man. so that was another just from like the fluid build up and stuff yeah, yeah. and the, you know again it's like you know his oncologist said i don't i can't think of anything else it could be so they put him on an like he was always already on steroids at this point um and they had to put him on like a higher dose of steroids to kind of like suppress his immune system because the keytruda revs up the immune system and like you know helps it work to fighting the cancer but then it does other things in your body that they never you know nobody knows what it's going to do and we've known other people that have had to stop it because it like attacks the liver or um you know just wreaks havoc in other ways and then there's other people that it really helps and they don't even have any side effects so you just never know um so then he was off of the keytruda but after that it was more just managing all of the side effects so um you know going to see the um, his neurosurgeon, his oncologist. We went through like five endocrinologists because he had wow. just such crazy things going on with his endocrine system. Um, yeah, we got a palliative doctor. He saw a palliative specialist for years, I think like six years. Um, he just managed his pain, would switch up his pain medications because he did start having horrible pain after the radiation to his lumbar spine. He had... Um, it, it was horrible pain and eventually his uh, spine disintegrated um, where the radiation where the melanoma and then the radiation so then he had to have um, this huge back surgery to kind of like rebuild his spine wow. and that was on <clears throat> March 13th 2020 so we were at UCLA um, Santa Monica as the world COVID, was shutting right. down it was shutting down yeah Jeez. yeah and he actually wasn't breathing on his own. We knew he would be in the ICU after that, but, um, and the surgery went longer than expected. Um, and I remember the surgeon came out and told me, okay, it's going to be just a few more hours or another, I think it was another hour. And then it was another hour. Anyway, it was long. And then at the end of the day, I'm just kind of sitting there right outside of the waiting area. And he came in and he said, well, he's not breathing on his own. Um, and you know, I was kind of a little bit paying attention to the news, but not really, you know, seeing kind of some crazy things were happening out in the outside world. Um, and a, a friend who had melanoma actually came and sat with me for the day, um, made sure that I ate and, uh, she finally had to leave and, you know, I said, I'd be fine. But then his surgeon came out and said, you know, he's not breathing on his own. He's going to be up in the ICU. You can go up and see him in a little bit. So we had to keep him asleep because every time we try to extubate him, um, he couldn't breathe. So, um, yeah, so I went up and saw him in the ICU and, you know, it's kind of, it's like 10 o'clock at night when we'd been there since like, you know, I think we're up at four and at the hospital at six. So, um, just kind of a weird day (laughs) yeah it just feels like time almost just stops Mm -hmm. it's like a weird time travel time trip almost like yeah it's very odd makes for really long days yeah but then they just kind of you just float through it and you know I'd be on social media and people would be asking me questions people would be texting me so that and then my friend being there it kind of kept me busy you know but then that night I remember calling his mom and just letting her know what happened and you know she stayed pretty calm about it, but, you know, I'm sure that's really scary to hear that. Um, 
yeah, so he was in the ICU and unconscious, you know, I guess like kind of a medically induced coma for a few days. Um, I think it was St. Patrick's Day that he kind of started, um, that we, yeah, that they, they were able to extubate him. Um, but I remember too, I went home to shower, had a friend there, um, you know, in the meantime, businesses are closing, people aren't going to work, um, you have to wear masks now. I remember that day. Yeah. I didn't even have a mask on, which right. is so weird to think now. Um, I remembered somebody walked by and coughed too. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, later on, I thought, oh, I'm, I have it. I'm sure I have it. But I, I had an antibody test. And Matt actually tested positive. He had an antibody test because he found out somewhere that day he'd been exposed. But he didn't wow. find out until later. Right. Um, but his doctor ordered an antibody test and he had the antibodies. So, but he was also getting the treatment already, like the high dose steroids sure. and IV antibiotics. And he was intubated, you know, he's on these huge bottles of propofol. I remember seeing them because <laughs> I use propofol at work and they come in like 20 or 10 milliliter bottles. Um, but yeah, it's like the huge bottles of propofol and just, you know, all the tubes going in, um, yeah, so then he, you know, I I wasn't sure if he was going to get through that, but he did, and he got through that, so it was pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, just the stories you're telling and the side effects, I'm sitting here just shaking my head. Uh, <clears throat> what a warrior the guy was. I mean, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, he was. He really was, yeah. So wh- what can you tell us about medical aid and dying, and if that's something... Uh, I guess that you guys had heard about mm-hmm. or, um, yeah, let's start there. How did you hear about something like made? So he heard about it. Um, I think that it was Brittany on the news. I have a, th- I think that that might've been the first cause that was like, um, it's at the end of 2013, I think right around there. Yeah. That she yeah, had, exactly. um, 2014 brain tumor I think real early in 14. Yeah. yeah. And I'm trying to remember when we saw her on People Magazine in the Infusion Center. And um, and then also Christy O'Donnell in L.A. She was, um, um, she was LAPD. Um, and she was in the news because she was fighting the state of California um, to have the um, end-of-life option. So um, she was on the news. So Matt reached out to her and uh she was amazing and just like wrote right back you know I think it was on Facebook a Facebook message he sent her and then we actually ran into her in the oncology office like you know within a week or two of like him reaching out to her and we're like oh my gosh (laughs) with her daughter um she was incredible too so um he so when he started talking about medical aid and dying I think you know it was like two years one or two years in so he was diagnosed first diagnosed in 2012 it came back in 2013 2013 2014 were like the really scary time like hard you know the beginnings of the really hard scary times I have to say it's like the beginning of it um and uh, where he just you know got through got through got through but um he was always still thinking of like I don't want to suffer and and I thought well, you're not. You're not going to suffer. We're going to do, you know, the doctors are going to take care of you. We'll figure things out, you know. I mean, because of what I do, I'm with animals at their end of life. 
regularly and we help them along. So, I mean, there's not going to be a problem for a human, you know. Um, I just thought there's a way we're going to, you know, we'll figure it out. You're not going to suffer. So, you know, cause that was such a big thing. And there was the, um, Roger Ebert documentary and they were showing him and, you know, kind of what he went through every day and it really freaked Matt out. He's like, I don't want to go through that, you know, just, um, but I mean, I think what Matt went through in the end, it was longer and it was, you know, it was really bad. So, I mean, Matt did go through a lot, um, just with his pain and, um, you know, all of his side effects. So, um, but so he, yeah. So then I think Christy got him in touch with compassionate choices. So, and I'm trying to think of like around the time, cause it was like 2016 when it was, uh, becoming or trying to become a law in California. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. I think in June of 16, I think it's when mm-hmm. it was like signed into law. June basically. 9th. Yeah. yeah. I remember June 9th was a big day. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so we did some interviews with like local news and then CNN, Sanjay Gupta came out and talked to us. Cool. Um, yeah. So that was, that was really amazing. But in the meantime, it was kind of like, okay, well we're working on it. It's like on the back burner, but, um, you know, we're still fighting this disease. Um, we're still fighting it. Um, and, it was almost like, you know, I, I mean, at this point, too, it's like, I know this is our life. This is, this is what we do now. This is, you know, fighting this disease, making Matt comfortable. Um, it was never like that, like, when's he going to be in remission? I never felt that ever again of, like, it was just, we're in it now. This is life. Um, and so also, too, when the pandemic hit and people were talking about going back to normal, I'm like, there's no normal. There's no, no- normal ever again for anybody this is what our life is like. Everyone else gets to experience this now. Um, you got to get used to it, you know. Totally. So for us, it was almost like, you know, I don't think it hit us as hard because we'd already been through it. You I know? agree. And I had that same feeling. I remember when things were shutting down and about a month in and <clears throat> people were really stir crazy. I remember thinking like, this is what I've been doing for <laughs> so long. And this is kind of what it's like in a sense. Um, minus, you know, these people aren't necessarily as sick per se, but right, right. yeah, it's like, yeah, you kind of get a taste of what it's like to, I guess, be in this position mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. It it's was funny, almost like felt a... that way too. Yeah. It's like people are joining us on this kind of yes. odyssey in a way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. You're like, okay, welcome. Here yeah, we right, are. Right. Okay. Just, you know, figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you don't go out anymore. You stay in, you read books, you know, everyone binge watched every show yeah. ever. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was almost like a little bit comforting of like, sure. oh, wow. Okay. So we don't have to worry about like turning down dinner invitations because nobody's having dinner anymore, you know, because it was always just like, oh, no, we can't. It's just, you know, it's too uncomfortable for Matt, you know. It was just, it was really nice, but it's like, it's just too uncomfortable. So, um, yeah, so, um, but yeah, the, so we kind of like, yeah, it was just kind of always thinking of, um, I guess, just, you know, how, how the end would be, um, but I was always thinking of, like, we'll just deal with that when the time comes, you know. Um, but in the meantime, keeping him comfortable. And then once the law did pass, um, he talked to his palliative doctor. He even talked to his oncologist about it and, and the oncology nurse. And I, 
the nurse said it was the first time she'd even heard about it, about medical aid and dying. You know, everyone knows about Oregon. Right. But, um, you know, they weren't even, it didn't sound like they knew too much about it being in California. And I remember mm. when um, Dr. Gupta did his, you know, did the interview, they wanted to come to UCLA and UCLA said, no, they weren't ready for that, I don't think. But then later on, they did kind of like, you know, it was just the beginning of it. So right. I think it was a lot for them. Yeah, to I mean, kind of it, different organizations have different policies and stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly a lot. And when it's so new, of course, you got to kind of tread lightly, I think. There's so many unknowns about it. Yeah. And I still, yeah, I mean, well, there's still so many unknowns, even though it's been around for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know people in other states have an idea that you just move to the state where it's legal and then somehow you're able to get the medication and I'm like no 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 (laughs) it's a much bigger longer process than you would ever imagine right I think I want to say Mexico New Mexico might have just uh yeah New Mexico Mm might have offered something along those lines where you don't have to be a Mm -hmm. resident technically Mm -hmm. but I'm not positive I have to I have to I'd have to go to CNC maybe and ask them about that. But yeah, it's not, um, not, it's, I think the process certainly varies for people Mm -hmm. and it can be very, very grueling and difficult or in my case, I feel very fortunate Mm because my doctor was very proactive and just very um, helpful with kind of getting things going. But can you tell us what that process was like with Matt and kind of going through the process of, you know, obtaining, I guess, that prescription or that um, okay to to use medical aid in dying. It, it actually wasn't until the very end when he was in hospice that really? we started the process. And we had talked to his palliative doctor about it and his oncologist. Um, but uh, that last week... Um, He'd been having a lot of pain in his lumbar spine, and his um, I think the one of the steel rods or the titanium rods had Jeez. broken in his back, so he was in pretty bad pain. Um, and he was and we'd been in and out of the ER a couple times, um, like right before Christmas. I think it started like the end of November um, when he was just having such awful pain, and we'd go in. They'd give him like doses of um, dilated every two hours really high doses he'd kind of start to feel better we'd go home um we were thinking that he might need to have another surgery but that would be that's huge you know um to go through all of that again um because it's not just having the surgery it's all the prep going into the surgery um and then the recovery obviously from the surgery um which was a lot and he never really actually fully recovered from it right so um so we went you know he'd been in and yeah in and out um then he had an infection they said his port was infected um so he went in for the pain they did a culture on his port and then a week later he found out there's a um infection in your port so we had to go back into the hospital he was on IV antibiotics. They like kept wanting to run more and more tests. Like infectious disease got involved. He was just getting irritated. He just wanted to get out. It was his birthday. He turned fifty-two in the hospital. Um, he just he's like, just get me out of here, no matter what. I don't really care. And so they're like, well, we can 
prescribed this really expensive IV antibiotic and we're like, we'll just, you know, okay, just do that. Whatever you have to do, you know, so we went home and then we had to, you know, they took us, they had taken his port out. So he had to get a pick line. Mm -hmm. And then again, it's like, when's the pick line nurse available? And I mean, it was this whole crazy thing again, because they only work certain times or they only work like Monday through Friday and they're not at every hospital. Um, yeah, there was so yeah. So they finally let him go home, and they, it was like a, against their medical advisement. But he just he just wanted to get out of there. So, um, and then I think like oh, we ended up down because we we live in Burbank. So there's also St. Joseph's down the street from us. Um, it's a smaller hospital than UCLA, but they have some UCLA doctors. So we went down there for some of his pain too, and had to call the paramedics, um, and just you know they could barely move him because he was so bloated up from the steroids too so he gained a lot of weight Mm -hmm. um so it was but like moving him was so uncomfortable um but they yeah so he ended up down at the um at st joseph's again um yeah so i mean it was just i'm just trying to think of like it was just a culmination of things um and and i think we're still like uh, I wasn't thinking about like, okay, I better get the medical aid and dying medication right now. It was more just like, what do we, you know, what do we have to do next? I remember, um, yeah, his pick line came out like something like snagged on the yeah. the sleeve yeah. and it pulled out and this was like right before Christmas. So um, I remember scheduling the appointment, finding um, this new facility, UCLA facility in Thousand Oaks. So we're like, oh, yay, they can get us in. It was, like, so exciting. We are like, yay, okay, yes, we'll be there, we'll be there. So, you know, got him in the car, which was always very difficult. You know, he had a walker um, and just getting him out when he was right. in so much pain. So we got up there. That procedure went well. It was almost like, okay, we, you know, we won this little small battle, you know, we driving home, feeling happy, relieved, you know. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if he was thinking of medical aid and dying at that point. I wasn't. I think he, we were both thinking like, okay, maybe he's going to need to have this surgery. Okay, let's think about that. So, um, uh, so yeah, but then he had this PET scan planned in January, um, the beginning of January. So we, let's see, he'd been, yeah, I'm like, he's been in and out of the hospital. It was like several times of like back and forth. He was never comfortable. He couldn't sleep for very long because if he slept for very long and he didn't move, he'd wake up in excruciating pain. So he never knew how he was going to feel when he'd wake up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So they, you know, we're like, we got to go to this PET scan just to see what's going on. You know, we thought it's going to give all the doctors answers that they need. Um, I remember getting him in the car. It was hard just to even get him in the car, um, just walking him down the path. Um, by the time we drove to Westwood, he was in such horrible pain. And I was just throwing Dilaudid in his mouth, just like, you know, forget the schedule, just get him out of pain. Um, I remember parking, um, the loading, unloading zone, um, and then getting a wheelchair to get him down the long hallway and then down the elevator. Um, I ran in to tell the um, security guards, like, I got to take my husband down to his PET scan. He can't walk. So just don't let anybody tow my car because there's these signs. And I remember the security guard was like, well, we can't, we don't have anything. We can't do anything about that. You just have to move it as soon as you can. I'm like, 
I, you know, that whole stupid, like, okay, <laughs> I'll just have to deal with that if that happens. Yeah. They didn't tow the car, but I just remember thinking, like, God, how, how unhelpful yeah, you are being like, right now. God, like, can like, you not even happening. see what's right. going on here? And I'm pushing him down the hallway that we've been down, like, hundreds of times, but it seemed like forever. And he used to, like, he walked with a walker for, like, I think five years he had a walker because it just, you know, the the metastasis in his in his femur and his his back it just you know he couldn't he could barely stand up so but he'd like he'd take little steps and he'd walk down and he'd like I'd go park the car and then meet him down um in the nuclear medicine department and he just would do it you know so um so I was pushing him in the wheelchair and like just every it wasn't even a bump but like every roll he was in so much pain but we were that far so I was like well we have to do this so anyway got him down there. He was in just excruciating pain. Um, they took him back fairly quickly. They got the first part done, the CT part. Um, and he was just in so much pain and he could barely lay flat. And the technicians were like putting pillows under his back and under his head and just trying to adjust him. And I was still giving him dilated and Ativan just like thinking like, if he just goes to sleep, he just goes to sleep. You know, that's yeah. better than this. So um, they couldn't finish the PET scan part. Um, he was he was just screaming in pain. And so I remember them telling me, like, um, you have to tell his doctor that he needs more pain meds. I'm like, I know. I know. I mean, this is like, isn't this obvious? You know, right. and then I asked him <laughs> at this point, like, Oh, he was also on fentanyl. I've, you know, he had a fentanyl patch. I mean, he was on like the highest the doses powerful, of everything. Yeah, yeah. And you know, where it's had, like you're gonna end up ODing if you keep taking yeah, higher doses of it. Except right? I don't even know if that was possible for him. You know. Jeez. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and he had his vape pen that we would take, and so you know, I'm like, do you want your vape pen? And I think he could barely even like suck on it. You know. Yeah. Um. But we left, and I, I got him back down to the car, which was, you know, really, it was just a long, excruciating trip again, um, and just trying to get him comfortable in the car for the ride home. He wanted to get in the back, and then he couldn't get comfortable in the back, so then I had to pull him out to try to get him back in the front seat and, like, maneuver him. And in the meantime, I'm, like, looking around to see if, like, anybody could help me, and then I thought, should I leave him here, go up and try to find someone to help me, which may or may not happen. So I just kept trying to get him more comfortable. I asked him if he wanted to go to the ER, and he said no, no. So I finally got him home. I think I got enough, like he got into a position, got enough Ativan and dilated in him that he would kind of like doze off for a little while. But if I hit like any kind of bump or went around a curve too fast, um, he was in pain again. And then I got him home. I ran over to our neighbor's house and asked our neighbor to help me get him in and get him out of the car. Um, so got him into bed. And then I called hospice right away. Um, did you? Why did you make that decision to call hospice? Did you just think this was the time? Was it? I did thought, you know like internally or subconsciously, or did you just think like? Did you know like it's? I have to call them. It's time. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. It just. It I just mean, happened. Well, what I thought. Was I mean, like he'd already been set thing? up with it. He. Okay. Yeah. So, but it wasn't like full hospice. Sure. So they would just like check in. I think if he needed IV antibiotics, um, they helped with a few different things. Okay. Um, like over, I think it was a year that he had been signed up with them because I think things had happened enough that he was close enough that he thought, 
I need to, I need to, so, but it wasn't full official hospice. So sure. It was like, kind of pal- like intake meetings. Hospice. And, yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, they, and yeah, so I think what I thought was, I need, we need a hospital bed. I need nurses coming over. Um, I mean, we had home nurses already, but they just come over to like change the bandages on his legs because mm-hmm. he had, you know, all these sores on his legs from the cellulitis and, um, and he'd fallen too. So, he had these wounds that never healed completely. So, sure. but we had nurses coming over for that, but not like you know, um, round the clock nurses. So, um, and I had a friend who knew someone who had a like home health aid business. Um, so I contacted them to have them come over because I knew there's no way that I could do any of this on my own, and even with you know, I had, you know, a lot of people that always said, just call us if you need help. So I put the call out to them, too, um, to come over. And I think, I well, at this point, I wasn't going to work anymore. I already knew. I'm not, there's no going back to work for me for a little while. Um, I think the week leading up to that, I knew he wasn't doing well. But I just thought, until we figure out what's next, um I'm going to have my friends come over so I can keep working. And, you know, and um, a lot of them have, of my friends that I know, um, have experience with helping elderly, their elderly parents. So they would offer up their, you know, I've been through this. I can help you. So um, some of them were retired. Um, so I called them in. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just it was like this. I just, you know, this has to happen. Um so that got set up really fast. I think, I can't remember if they, I think they came over the next morning. I don't think it was that night. Um, but it was fast. So that was great. Good. Um, but then I could tell the hospice was not like on the same page with medical and aid and dying, even though the palliative doctor was um, the hospital director there at one point, and he was okay with medical aid and dying, but he wasn't their hospital director anymore so you know it was kind of like okay all right and then this was like martin luther king the friday before the holiday so i was trying to contact his doctors and no one was available and then i think like the next night i got a call from his oncologist who was saying like you need to go back to the er or you and matt said no no i'm not doing that you know and we said this you know we need we need to talk about the medical aid and dying um, but he's like, um, you need, yeah, you need to go back to the ER. You need to, you need to think about having that surgery. So at that point we're like, all right, <laughs> he's on a different page too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just remember that feeling of like, okay, now what? <laughs> um, so, but still like moving forward. That's when I contacted um, Compassionate Choices, started to find out about um, a patient advocate in Los Angeles who came over. And I, I talked to a few different people that were telling me like different kind of different ways to go or there's this doctor that can prescribe it. You have to, you know. So in the end, um, the patient advocate was amazing and extremely helpful. Um, and she, you know, it's like we had people in common that we knew like um there's a cancer support center in LA called We Spark and she'd actually um been on the board there so i mean there's cool. it was just kind of interesting like just the connections kind of um 
So she came over, and that's kind of when things really start, you know, the ball started rolling. Um, and there's uh, concierge doctors. So, um, but in the meantime, she was saying, well, I know of one doctor, but you have to have a second doctor. So send messages out to his, so to the rest of his team and see, you know, if one of those doctors can be the second doctor. Yeah. Um, and that's when it was the, the holiday weekend, so I wasn't getting anything. But then that's when the oncologist called and said, you know, have the surgery. So he didn't agree with that <laughs> plan. Um, but then thankfully there were two concierge doctors. Um, we did a FaceTime with one, um, and that was the first request. And then we did a FaceTime the next night with the second one, and then the next night again with the first one. And then he could order the medication. So, um, yeah. And then it took like a, a little over a day, I think for it to arrive. Um, but yeah, the concierge doctors were, I think like $2,500 and then the medication was seven fifty. So, mm-hmm. um, and thankfully we have really great friends who like helped with that because awesome. when you're going through cancer, you know, there's a, your money goes to a lot of other things. So, yeah, I mean, you know. it's amazing. I said, too, like, not only am I dying slowly from this disease, but slowly going broke in the process. You yeah. know, I mean, it's expensive to die this way. It's, it's, a, it's long, a, a lot of money yeah. over the, yeah, I mean, when years. When you're not working. Yeah. And, yeah, and so I was thinking, like, you know, I have a 401k. I was like, should I go into that? You know, I mean, I was like, thank goodness I have it. Right. But then, you know... My friends were like, no, don't worry about that. We'll help you out. We'll take care of that. So um, that was really great. Yeah. These are all cat people. All all people, you know, that I know through work or through coworkers or, you know, I mean, I'm like, they all came through. They all are amazing. And then, I mean, also to Matt's friends in film, Matt's friends from the military, Matt's friends from high school, you know. Everyone was really helpful in yeah. this end process. I mean, all through it, but especially I felt even though people couldn't be with us physically, they were all with us, like spiritually, emotionally. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And Matt was ready. He was ready. Like, I can't remember, like, if there was a, like, declaration to him of, like, I mean, it just, I'm thinking back and I'm like, I we just kind of went with it we just that was next we just knew that was the next step when he said no I don't want to have the surgery I don't want to go back to the hospital I think those were the no surgery no hospital I don't want to live like this anymore I can't he couldn't sit up I mean the guy yeah I wasn't there to see it or experience it like you did but yeah the quality of life seems like it really kind of diminished and when you're living in chronic pain like that it's like man no one wants to be dealing with that every day 24 7 not able to sleep i mean it impacts every facet of your life not going he couldn't even get up to go to the bathroom that was a huge thing for him you know totally oh my gosh like just getting him on the porta potty we had a couple of those episodes of just like and he was in so much pain and then even just to go hurt so bad like just the process um yeah he's like i i can't live like this i don't want to put you through this i've already put you through enough but again it's like don't worry about putting me through it it's you it's it's for you so um 
but he was ready. He was like, I mean, and, but still, even at the end, you know, he, it's the unknown. It's like, what happens next? He was brought up Catholic. Um, he has faith. He, um, but he still didn't know what was next. And I kind of had more of a peaceful feeling about Matt. It's going to be good. You're good. Cause I have this with animals. I mean, I think where they're going is an amazing place. They're not in pain anymore. Um, they don't know. I mean, they're just, it's, they're free of their disease. They're free of their disease bodies or they're, you know, I mean, most, a lot of the times it's an old body, but, um, you know, they're not in pain anymore. So that's how I saw it for him and his, you know, his, his dad had passed away. So I'm like, you're going to go see your dad. Um, I just kind of thought of it as just, it's, it's, um, it's just a nice, easy place to be so more of a gift than anything i mean to be relieved of that suffering and that uh way of life i mean it's like <clears throat> you can only do that for so long and the inevitability of death anyways with a, a terminal disease it's like you get to a point where there's no need to suffer anymore yeah yeah enough is enough yeah when you've been through so I mean it was a um, nine and a half years from diagnosis to when he passed so it was a long time um, and every year every moment it was almost like you know not even just month at a time it was day at a time he would he would have to contend with something something that diminished his quality of life even more mm -hmm. so it never like got better it just like it was more just managing the de decline so um yeah so but once he made that decision he was ready and there was no question the concierge doctors were amazing and you know they felt for him and one of them contacted the hospice doctor and increased his pain meds Great. got him on methadone increased the dilated pump um you know added in more things but we also, again, like the timing was incredible because I think it was Sean who told us that the waiting period in California is 48 hours now. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what we would have had to do if it was last year. Mm -hmm. This was January, it was 20, January 21st right. when he died. But um, so we were just in January. I mean, it was just, I think about it now. I'm like, God, our timing for something so crappy was incredible for so many things like having these his drugs you know just fda approved like two of them you know had just been approved and then and then the waiting period down from two weeks because i really i don't even know i don't know but anyway thankfully it was just 48 hours and it's you know a little more than that in the end but um but yeah it arrived i mean we're kind of like waiting and then it arrives by FedEx or UPS, I forget, but, you know, delivery, so mm -hmm. we signed for it, and then it, it, yeah, it was there, but, um, and then the nurse, the patient advocate came over, and, you know, we knew what time, um, and we had friends over, um, oh, and we, you know, there's a protocol you have to follow with what you eat, yep. um, and so he wanted IHOP for dinner the night before, that's mm. what he, and we watched, um, we watched Belfast, and he actually, like, watched the movie. He hadn't watched a full movie for years. He just couldn't. He couldn't sit and watch it. Mm -hmm. But he watched it. He commented on it. He talked cool. about it. So so it was like, oh, my God, Matt. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
you're here for a little bit. You're back, you know. Yeah. Um, so that was really amazing. Yeah, and then he like he wanted IHOP, <laughs> so he had IHOP, and then and then it was like okay, nothing greasy, nothing, you know, that yep. was it. So yep. and we ordered the sorbets and you know all the different flavors like of sorbets and ice cream or not ice cream because it's no milk, but no like dairy, yeah. the sorbets, yeah, different kinds. Um, yeah, so we had all that ready, but it yeah it was definitely a weird you know kind of like you go into this floaty kind of period again um different from the other one somehow but yeah it's like a different reality so um but we had like you know people coming over visiting one of his really good friends from the navy drove up just to spend some time with him told him how he inspired him to continue on with his navy career and you know become who he was and all the people that he influenced I got a message last night from another one of his shipmates from 2005, and he said that Matt got him to read his first book. He said he had never read a book. He got through school somehow, and Matt was always reading. We both loved to read, so we would, you know, we'd go on vacation, we'd read, and so he said he noticed Matt was always reading, so he started to ask him about it, and um, he got him to read. Matt gave him a book. He said, then I read another book and it just opened me up to so many things that I wouldn't have known before or known about. And he's like, and inspired him to inspire others to read. And then he told me that he's trying to pay it forward. And he has a friend who's a librarian at an underprivileged school. And so he's going to go help paint this library and they're dedicating a reading room to Matt. So cool. they're naming Very the reading cool. room after Matt. Uh, That's amazing. Like, You're killing me. This is amazing. I'm yeah, just, yeah. What a God, yeah. tears to my eyes last night. I was of like, of course. I mean, he's still he's still giving, and he's not even here, and he's still changing people. You know, making a positive difference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he it's, really I think is. shows his character for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and after he passed, too, I just so many people reached out to me, sent me messages, and you know, called and just told me how Matt touched their lives. Yeah. So, yeah, he was... Do you mind telling us about what that process was like when Matt used the medication? Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, he followed the diet, um, the protocol, um, and... Uh, and that, we mentioned, you touched a little bit on that, so it is specific, which is kind of... A bummer in a sense because like my last meal i always wanted to be like real like pizza and yeah, like all the bad good. stuff yeah but yeah you got to uh there has to be apparently a relatively specific diet like no dairy i mm-hmm. remember no, no dairy food, no fatty foods no, no spicy foods, foods spicy yeah. yeah they want your stomach or your stomach needs to be calm and you know kind of um, empty, empty for the most part mm-hmm. yep. yeah and then there's the anti-nausea medication that you take a certain number of hours beforehand um, so yeah, so we were following that strictly. And even though like I could tell he wanted, he wanted something else, but then he was like, no, this is what I'm going to do now. So, you know, cause I said, you don't, you don't have to do it right now just because we've set it up for this time or this day. You don't have to do it. And he's like, no, I do. I want to do it. So, um, so he, you know, being Matt, being focused, that's what he wanted. So there was, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was set. Um, yeah, so, uh, and I think we had, you know, people, people that were coming over, um, just kind of 
to say to see him, say hello, goodbye. Um, yeah, and then we had the nurse come over at a certain time. Um, yeah, and she mixed it up. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot of powder because um, it's like heart medications, sedatives, morphine. Mm-hmm. I think like you know, Elevil is one of them, and morphine, and yeah. you know, because I know I know some of them from animal medicine and just from also what he's been taking too but just it's like a huge cocktail of like a bunch of different drugs that work on everything so um yeah because i guess they had to stop using the what was it called the um second all that was what they used the like at the beginning but they had to stop using that for or i don't know if it was like a supply so um they came up with that whole cocktail and uh yeah so she mixed it up and you get like I think she mixed it like we got apple juice because um, she said it can be water, apple juice. It's kind of bitter. Um, yeah, she mixed it up. And then I think that's when I started to feel really sick. <laughs> kind of hit me. I felt like it punched to my gut of like, wow, this is really happening. Um, so, yeah, so she mixed it up. And like as soon as she did it, you know, he was just like he took the glass and just downed it. It's a lot of liquid. Yeah. Um, kind of choked coughed a little bit or actually for a little while i think some of it went down the wrong way so he coughed for a little while um and then but he also coughed a lot anyway that was normal you know he just he coughed a lot that was a big big part of you know his his problems too was like he was just constantly coughing and it hurt um but once he kind of calmed down we just kind of tried to keep him quiet and calm and like lay him back and and um and then, you know, he wanted everyone else besides me and the nurse to leave. So they all went outside. Um, and I just sat with him for a while and just talked for a little bit. Um, and the nurse was talking me through it, letting me know what would happen. Um, and it did, it took a little while for him to kind of go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, just relax. Um, I was holding his hands the whole time. You know, we were holding mm-hmm. each other's hands. Um but it did take a little while, I think, because she said, you know, his body's just so used to fighting. Um, so it, it took, I think, a bit longer than normal. Um, and I was just trying to, like, not stimulate him, just try to let him, you know, I put on, like, some Jimmy Buffett. He mm-hmm. loves Jimmy Buffett. Mm-hmm. So just, like, the quieter, calmer, you know. Um, and then he just kind of, like, yeah, then he, he just, he's pretty slowly drifted off to sleep. But he was breathing for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so he just, yeah, but then, like, the skin changes colors. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I think it was very peaceful Good. overall. Yeah. Good. Yeah, so, uh, I know, I'm just, like, how does it, when you're talking to somebody, how do you, are you, like, how do you feel when you're talking to yeah, someone who's been through um, it? I guess for me, it's more, um, it's, it can be reassuring. I hear a lot of similar vocabulary when people explain what it was like, mm-hmm. peaceful, uh, yeah, serenity and just, um, you know, the person, yeah, falling asleep, basically. It seems mm-hmm. like a lot of these people just, yeah, you fall asleep and that's it. And I always said that that's how I want to go, just go to sleep and not wake up someday. So, mm-hmm. um, I hope that, uh, yeah, if 
if it if it comes down to using that medication, I, I'm comfortable with that idea, and um, we'll just kind of see how things play out. I suppose. I hope I don't have to, but mm-hmm. right, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's there as a tool, and um, I one of my biggest fears um, is that I would just like refuse to quit. And you mentioned it. <laughs> Matt was such a fighter, and even mm-hmm. towards the end, like his body would just fight, and that's what I had explained to my doctor, which is how we got on the subject mm-hmm. of medical aid and dying, and uh, kind of learned about it from there. So for me, yeah, it's a tool where um, I feel like if uh, the time has come and the body just won't let up, then maybe use it. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah, but I I'm... think more relief and just uh, understanding, and that people feel it seems like there is compassion and certainly compassion and empathy and all the experiences I've heard about seem very peaceful and uh it's reassuring to me in a way mm-hmm. yeah 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 it is it it definitely is and I I think yeah it's it's a it's you know kind of strange to go from like fighting it and then going like okay this is it this is what we're gonna do now totally um, totally but it's ending suffering and that's you know it's it's what's going to happen anyway but you're you're yeah not going through further suffering you've already Mm -hmm. gone through years of it so um and i try to remind my family of that too just that this will be and it will be a gift in a sense because by the time i'm you know needing to use something like that um, the body will be in pretty bad shape and yeah, I don't think people should have to deal with, you know, that type of suffering. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we, we should show compassion in a sense. And, uh, this, that's a way of showing compassion to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we do it for our animals. So, right. um, <laughs> yeah. And I think about my dog too, who had the experience and, it sounds silly, but like, man, the best gift I gave Dora was a way out. She coincidentally had a brain tumor and she had all these just horrible seizures mm-hmm. and getting lost and confused mm-hmm. and crying. And it's like, that's no way for her to be living. But, you know, uh, so, yeah, when it was her time, it was it was a gift. Yeah. 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 She just went to sleep and that was it. And it's nice to be able i mean for humans and animals to be at home rather than in the hospital matt wanted to be at home not yes, in the hospital totally. um, i know some people that will you know they want to bring their animals in because they just can't i don't know they don't want to remember this spot at home but um but most people find it more peaceful to be at home mm-hmm. um and i know matt did not want to be in a hospital that right. was it and i know that if he had to go back to the hospital and and have a surgery whether he would have even made it to the surgery he would have died in the hospital right and that is absolutely not what he wanted um so it was yeah it definitely was a gift yeah yeah. what else would you like to share about this experience or like our listeners to know about medical aid and dying or Matt or just uh, this process and your odyssey with cancer? Um, well, I think um, it's hard to not feel completely alone in it when you're going through this. Um, 
And what I'm hoping, and what it seems to be now, is that, um, I mean, and, and we're lucky. We had a lot of support, too. But uh, sometimes you feel like you're fighting against the medical community for what you need. Um, I mean, I wish that I could have gotten him psilocybin for um, his pain and anxiety. And I just watched the documentary on Netflix. Yeah. And I was like, my friend and I were like, everyone should have some tea you know and totally. I don't I've never tried it or you know I never like I've always like I'm good I don't you know but um I know for like depression anxiety mm-hmm. pain like pain is such a big thing anything people can do to get out of pain I'm like just and all you know for me too I'm like at the end I was you know I think the last few years I was like eat the Oreos eat the meat eat whatever you want you know um, it gets to a point where I'm like, it doesn't matter. Just eat what you want and whatever makes you happy. As long as it's, I mean, sometimes it affects the health. Like if, you know, I think eating a lot of dairy wasn't really good for him too. Cause he'd like cough a lot, but he liked dairy. He liked milk. So, um, so that was like kind of a little, um, battle in his body. But, um, I think I don't, you know, it's not giving up the, you know, using medical aid and dying because I, I know that's like a thought, but um, it's not. It's not giving up at all. It's actually being proactive and, um, yeah, ending someone's suffering. But, um, yeah, and I'm just, you know, just so grateful we're in California. We're somewhere that medical marijuana is legal, medical aid and dying is legal. It's 48-hour waiting period. Um, and I think it's just, you know, constantly kind of talking about it (laughs) I try not to talk about it too much it's like my whole thing now is like will you adopt a kitten or do you want to know about melanoma or medical aid and dying I'm like okay (laughs) I have to you know can't talk about all those things all the time but um yeah but take a kitten anyway (laughs) um or definitely adopt don't shop so um but yeah it's just awareness and education and just like letting people know about it if anybody like Anybody can ask me about any of those things, and I'm really happy to talk about them. And, you know, I might cry a little bit, but it's okay. I mean, yeah, it's totally. more just like getting, just kind of getting the word out there that, you know, there's a lot of really sick people in a lot of pain, and they deserve to have this as their end, um, you know, their end of life here. Then they move on, so... Um, yeah, and I think just, you know, understanding more about, like, the cancer community, people being sick, and not, yeah, not just cancer, but, like, autoimmune diseases. My mom has rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia, and she's in a lot of pain, and um, so I, I'm actually her caregiver, too, and um, she lives with me, and she lived with me and Matt, and they would kind of watch over each other, and they'd right. actually call the ambulance for each other sometimes when uh-huh. I would be at work and, like, let me know, like, okay, uh-huh. I'm going to meet whoever down at the hospital when I got off work, but right. knowing that they would watch after each other was, was good. And so she misses him a lot, even yeah. though they would bicker, you know, <laughs> mother-in-law, <laughs> son-in-law, but, um, but you know, that was normal, but they still took care of each other. Um, but it's just such a, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, put away, like, you know, if people don't know about it, it doesn't, you know, they don't see it, they don't need to hear about, you know, illnesses, and, um, and, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll hear people talking about, like, 
vacation plans. And I, I don't like to just like throw things in people's faces of like, oh, I'm dealing with <laughs> very sick husband right now. We don't go on vacation anymore. <laughs> I try to keep my mouth shut. But, um, you know, it's just kind of being aware of like, you know, not everyone's going on vacation. Not sure. everyone is living this life. This, you know, and I think that's the, you know, that side of social media. But, you know, of course, yeah. on my social media, I have a lot of sick people too. So, um, I see that and I see what they're going through, but just kind of like awareness. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think absolutely awareness and empathy. And, um, a lot of times, uh, I, a lot of people ask like, Oh, let me know if you do need anything. Mm -hmm. And like, that's so nice, of course. And I'm sure if I reached out, they would oblige. Um, but it's hard to, to reach out at times. It is. And one of the things that I've been trying to, I guess, say, or, um, I don't know, reinforces, just do something for the person. Mm -hmm. Maybe do something without even asking them. Just mm -hmm. swing by with a meal and say, here you go, here's something. If you don't eat it tonight, eat it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Or here's a $10 gift card or whatever, mm -hmm. and maybe you can't afford that, and that's okay. So maybe just go and, you know, spend time, 10 minutes with the person or something and sit with them. But uh, Yeah, I think the hard thing is, like, not, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it gets boring being sick. It's like you can't go hiking, you can't go to the movies, yep. you can't go on vacation, you can't go out and just, you know, drink tequila in the afternoon right. like we used to, you know, and then, you know, go do something fun. It's just like you can't do that. And um, and then, you know, people want to keep doing that. And, and, you know, so, but, I mean, those people do help, but it's still, it's it's hard. And I know Matt was just like, I mean, he, he was lucky because he did, you know, like one of his old bosses was a producer and he'd send him scripts to read like he used to read, you know, and that really helped him a lot. You know, he's like reading these scripts, but then it got to a point where he couldn't read them anymore. But it's almost like just don't forget about the sick people, you yeah. know, even if they're just like, you know, no, I'm fine. It's like well, still don't forget about them, you mm -hmm. know, and what people have told me, too, about, um, you know, after a spouse passes is like everyone is there for you for like the first month or two, yeah. you know, but then it kind of, but I mean, I am lucky that I have, you know, people that still check in and still are like, are you okay? Are you really okay? Are you just saying you're okay? You know, yeah. but it's still good. And even if I have, you know, five texts from people when I get off work asking me if I'm okay, I still, you know, it's nice to see that. And I may not get back to them right away, but it's still nice. And um, yeah, it's just, yeah, having empathy and, and just, you know, caring for one another. Um, yeah, don't forget about them. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you say that. One of the things I noticed when I first was sick was exactly that. The amount of support is almost overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like, well, it's five years later and I'm even worse off than I was. Yeah. And yeah, there's still support, no doubt. But like at the same time, people's lives are busy and mm -hmm. they, they do need to move on with life in a sense or move forward. And uh, you do kind of at times feel like you're almost left in the dust in a way just mm -hmm. kind of forgotten about in a sense so it, it can be hard um so i appreciate you bringing that up too yeah because it's not like i mean i feel like the um the like commercial of a cancer patient is like you get this drug you know they're sick you get the cancer diagnosis no one wants to hear you get this drug and then you're running a marathon right. and i'm like or you know or you're not but there's so much in between mm-hmm and I think totally. that's, I didn't know about all that in between. So now I do. Um, yeah, and I know. But it's also still like, you know, I'm not, you know, it's like, 
for Matt, I always wanted, I didn't want to, um, I wanted him to do as much as he could for himself. I thought that was really important, you know. But then we also, I also have to recognize that he needed help, you know. So, but it's like, it's really hard. It's a fine line of like, how much help do you give? Because I, you know, I have a lot of people that are like, what do you need? And I'm like, I don't need anything. I'm really fine. Or or what does he need? But it, it's just like the presence, I guess, of just knowing you have that. Um, yeah, and like you said, too, of the... Let me know if you need anything. Sure. <laughs> that used to drive Matt crazy. Yeah. And then the, you got this. Yeah. Which I'm like, Matt, they just mean well. Right. Yeah. The intent <laughs> is what I really focus on is yeah. people have good intentions and that's what's most important. Actually, we're talking about doing like an episode of things maybe like to say to people with cancer and things that maybe you just like stay away from or are kind of like the cliches that you don't necessarily have to say all the time. Cause yeah, some of that stuff gets a little repetitive and again, it goes back to intent. People have good mm-hmm. intentions. They really want to help. And a lot of times people don't know what to say and it's like, what the hell do you say? Yeah. I don't, I didn't know what the hell to say when I first got sick or how to tell people or yeah. what to expect. And it's all unwritten, you know, kind of unfounded territory in a sense. It's a process. And I think, yeah, and I think some people will think, well, I'm not going to say anything because I'm going to say the wrong thing. And I've heard sure. people say that too. And I'm like, well, it's kind of nice to actually just acknowledge it, mm-hmm. <laughs> say something. Yeah. I know it's uncomfortable, but it is good because then it, totally. you know, just kind of lets that person know that you're aware and you're thinking of them that's the most important thing yeah and then there are moments too where it's like you don't have to say anything and i just Mm. want a hug or i just Mm, want mm. someone to be with me in silence and that's okay as well but uh yeah certainly recognition and um, being there and doing things i think is uh you know important for bad support yeah definitely yeah this was a really impressive story ginger i loved hearing um your story and matt's and uh just everything that came with it uh your your relationship and everything you guys went through together it's so impressive you don't hear a lot about that anymore so i really admire that (laughs) and i wish that it would have ended differently for matt but i also really do believe that for whatever reason this was just kind of the path he was supposed to walk and it sucks. There's no doubt. It just mm-hmm. sucks. The yeah, ending sucks. But at the same time, I think it's amazing that you're already hearing things of how he has impacted mm-hmm. so many people, and he's still impacting people even with him being gone. And I think that's going to continue for many years just by hearing uh, your story. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And we'll have to do this again sometime. We'd love to have you back on and chat, and uh, you can provide any updates or tell us again how Matt's still still helping to change people's lives in a good way yeah i will thank you definitely yeah well thanks friend this is wonderful and thank you to all of our listeners and we hope that uh, you learned something from the episode and again this is with ginger fairchild telling us about her late husband matt and thank you again for your time thank you so much (laughs) 